What a time of worship. Friends, we are at such an exciting season. And uh, it's not just a season for us as a, as a church. We are part of a worldwide family of churches and currently about 18 nations around the world. So with, with the group here from Nelspreit, together with churches in, throughout all of South Africa, Pretoria, Poch, Bloemfontein, Kaapstad, Petersburg, all, I, I don't know all the new names, but we'll get there eventually. Um, but, but there's churches from all over the world that is, that is focusing on this. And um, I want to play you a little video clip from, of Pastor Steve Murrell. He heads up, he leads the Every Nation churches all around the world. And uh, just in a way introducing this amazing grace season to us as churches all around the world. And uh, also just to usher us into the time of as we prepare for the prayer and fast. So I'm just want to get that video up there. Just as we always do, we started 2019 together with a week of prayer, fasting, and consecration, focusing on developing great faith. We continued our great faith theme with a six-week sermon series designed to strengthen our faith. A few months later, when 6,000 of us gathered together in Orlando, Florida, from 80 nations to celebrate every nation's 25th anniversary at Go 2019, we continued to emphasize great faith in our great God. As always, we plan to start the year with a week of prayer, fasting, and consecration. Our 2020 theme will be Amazing Grace. We've written devotional guides, we've produced videos, we've prepared sermon series on Amazing Grace that will follow the prayer, fasting, and consecration week. We are declaring 2020 to be a year of grace in every nation. As we prepare for that week, I am claiming Romans 5:17 for all of us. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I am believing with you that because of the abundance of grace, we will reign in life in 2020. Great stuff. All right, so that's with all our churches around the world. Amazing grace, and he's talking about a week of consecration and fasting. Uh, I don't know. There was a guy, he was speaking about fasting, and he says simply, simply saying the word causes people to lose weight. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because you are stressed to fast. Um, I don't know. Who, who of you guys have fasted a day or more in your life? Kind of just wave at us nice and Yes, so you guys are legends. This is going to be easy. We're going to fast for two weeks instead of one um, because we are so, so, so versed in it. Um, friends, now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm joking, but we are going to have, at the end of this uh, month, we will have a, um, five days, literally Monday to Friday, of prayer and fasting. During the week, we will get together. But the whole motivation for this, the motivation for the Amazing Grace series is that we can settle ourselves in the foundation of the gospel. Because if you don't have grace settled... You're going to struggle for the rest of this year. You're going to most probably have this whole year and you're going to stay, keep it full of religion, full of rules, and you're never going to know whether you've pleased God or not. 
That's the thing about grace. If you don't have it, you're never sure of how things are going. You are always uncertain. You are always insecure. You always feel that you have to do a little bit more. If someone looks at you funny, you think that they know what only you know. You're scared to shake their hands. It's like a USB stick. If I shake your hand, I download your life, and I know exactly what's happening. Friends, that's what grace does. As we were worshiping, just as I intro into, into the sermon, last week we spoke about knowing God, and this is really a continuation into deeper into God's presence. But when you find God, you find a God of grace. Not, the, not grace the way the world defines it, but grace the way the Word defines it. And we're going to look at what the Word says about grace. But you find that I was, I was reminded in, in worship of the, of the uh, tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle housed God's presence. And the tabernacle was built in three sections. You had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. Now, in the outer court, it's all about sacrifice because you find the altar and you find there's a, there's a, there's a brass laver. A laver is a, is a big a bowl full of water. So when you've done your sacrifice, you would go to the laver and you would cleanse yourself. You would wash all the ash and the blood and the things of the sacrifice off you because you had to be washed with the water before you enter into the Holy of Holies. And not many people were allowed to enter into the, uh, uh, the, the inner court, rather. And then there were only a few people in Israel that was allowed to enter through the veil into the Holy of Holies to see God's presence. And I felt God say to, her, to me this morning that he's, he's calling a people from the Holy of Holies. God is calling His church to stop just dwelling in the outer court. Because Christianity is so designed, people are so comfortable dwelling in the outer court and just saying, okay, fine, you know, I, I was close enough to God, but I wasn't touched by Him. I saw Him and I heard Him, but He didn't touch me. Friends, imagine a father, those of us who have kids, being separated from your child just 10 meters. They're not allowed to come closer to you than 10 meters. Imagine the heart of the father thinking, that's my child and I can't touch him. Now, through Jesus, God, God said, I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to go there. But I just believe that through us talking about what we're talking about is God is going to usher every single one of you closer, deeper. If you are dwelling in the outer court, if you are just accustomed to worshiping God from a distance, God will help you to step in one step closer. If you hear God's heart, you will step in one step closer. If you are used to worshiping God, maybe from the inner court, there where the, where, where the lampstand is and where the incense is burnt, and all there, you can read how the, tabernacles, how the tabernacle was built. But if you are used to God, you know, just being basically in the inner court, but always being aware that there's more, God is calling you deeper, friends. And He's going to do it through His amazing grace. It's a month of consecration for us. What is consecration? Consecration is taking the natural and devoting it to serve the divine. Taking your time. The fact that you are here is you are busy consecrating your time, taking your time and saying, God, I want my time to serve your purposes. 
And it's amazing how God made life and made, 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 just wrote the Bible that by simple physical things, the things you have in your hand, your time, your treasures, and your talents, you can literally cast a line, an anchor beyond the veil into the spiritual, and you can pull what is spiritual into the natural. Because God designed you to live spirit, soul, and body, not body, soul, spirit. Simply that will keep you busy. Simply that phrase will keep you busy. God made you spirit, soul, and body. In the world, we have changed it, and we live from the body into the soul, into the spirit. And we're working with a generation that is dictated by everything that is just in their body, the flesh. The flesh dictates the spirit. And that is why we're going to fast. Is you're going to take the body and you're going to put it into subjection and you're going to consecrate your physical body and you're going to say, God, this year I want you to use my physical body to serve the spirit. Because the things of the spirit is life. It's truly life. Just as an intro to Amazing Grace is... I don't know if any of you guys read the book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Philip Yancey wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's one of those books that I think every Christian should read. It's, it, it, it challenges you. Um, and he writes in this book about 1988, there was a, um, a Wembley Stadium hosted the Nelson Mandela 70th birthday tribute concert. And there were many of the of the chart-topping concerts, uh, uh, bands, you know, some of the most well-known guys, Dire Straits, Sting, George Michael, blah, 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 all these, all these legends in the world, and, and they had their, their concert, and literally for 12 hours long, it was just concert. Imagine 12 hours of concert. And at the end, there was an opera singer, Jesse Norman, a believer. Don't know exactly how it worked, but... She took the stage with no band or no backup singers and she started singing Amazing Grace. John Newton's famous, famous song. Every believer knows that. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Simply behind that song, what, why that song was written by a slave trader that got saved. She started singing it and the crowd was kind of all of a sudden taken aback because they had just had this barrage of of sound pouring over them. And just this lady started singing Amazing Grace. And they said that these thousands, it's almost 70,000 people, they said at the second line of the, of the song, people started, and 70,000 people started singing Amazing Grace. And it's not a beautiful picture of how the one thing the world desire above all things is Grace. And that in the heart of the most hardened rock goers, there's that desire for grace. And it's funny how the closer we get to God, the more quiet we become. The more humble you become. Because the whole song Amazing Grace is about Him. It's not about me. Friends, and you need to settle it in the beginning of this year. You, you need to settle it. Can I speak to you? as someone that gives you something that, that, that will change your life, is you better settle this in your life. 
Otherwise, otherwise, you will live your life in desperation. You will never know what it means to be a son or a daughter of Christ, but you will always know what it is to be religious. You will never know how to help other people because you always feel, I can't even help myself, so how can I help you? If you grasp grace, God will usher you into His presence and He will make you quiet but he will make you substantial. Have you ever walked into the presence of a man or a woman that you just know when they speak their substance? Just the way they do things is you can trust them. They don't have to impress you with jokes. They don't have to impress you with, with, with trying to give you the newest book that they've read, worldly wisdom. They're just seasoned with the grace of God, like Ronaldo and Brett is seasoned with caffeine. That guy's, you know, you won't even have to get buried. You're just going to be mummified yourself. But I'm, I'm messing now. But friends, there's, there's, there's something that happens when you walk into the presence of someone that knows the grace of God and the depth of it. And may we as a church know that. May we as a church go into 2020 living from the grace of God, not to find the grace of God. Such a deep, deep, deep topic and that's why we're going to be preaching about it for almost five weeks I think not almost we're going to preach on it five to six weeks because as a church we need to grasp the grace and we need to live from the grace friends it will change your life I'm going to take you to Romans many of you guys you guys will start seeing this book the book is I don't know if it's on the table yet but from next week onwards it will be available this is the devotional that will lead us through the week of prayer and fast this book will tell you what fast is how to prepare for your fast, how to be purposeful about your fast, not just to fast, but to have things that you trust in God. God, I'm trusting you, I'm praying for my family. So instead of eating that day, the time you would have spent eating, so some will have more time to pray than others, um, you will know what to pray for. All right? You will, you will be purposeful about your, your prayers. And I can say to you, not once in my life have I fasted and I have not found a breakthrough or a level of understanding that God brought. Not necessarily ease. Fasting is not a way to twist God's arm to give you more stuff. Fasting is the most precious way that you can use to clear the communication channels between you and God. I want to take you to Romans. Romans is a fascinating book. It could have been written to, it could have been called... Nelspreitians or Mbombela or whatever, I don't know exactly how you would have, but it could have been called a letter to Nelspreit. It was political, political hub in, the, in those days, absolute, it, it was like one of the greatest cities in the world at the time, phenomenally wealthy but also phenomenally poor. It's interesting how in, a, in, in some of the wealthiest cities you find the poorest people. So it's that, that contradiction. It was written to a political, economical, interesting city, rich and poor. It was written to a church that was started by Jews. And then Augustine, I think it was Emperor Augustine, I have to get it, yeah, Emperor Claudius, sorry. In the year 10 AD, just 10 after, uh, after Christ, he he chased 40,000 Jews out of, out of Rome. He chased them out of Rome. 
and all of a sudden the church that they planted, that the Jews planted, were taken over by Gentiles. The Gentiles, the, the, the South Africans that got saved. The, the Africans, the, the, the non-Jews started leading the church. And they led the church for about 30 to 40 years. And then the new emperor came in and he opened the city and the Jews came back. And the Jews came back to the church they planted that was then led by Gentiles. And you can imagine, anything you can do, I can do better. Okay? The stress and the difficulties that the... So, so he's writing to a city that is like Nelspruit, wealthy and poor, economically and politically challenged. He's writing to a church that is facing issues. They're facing conflict within the church. It's like, we planted the church, how dare you lead it that way? We know religion, it's this way. How dare you define religion otherwise? So the people that read these, this letter was internally and externally challenged. Fascinating history. But when you get the Word of God, the Word of God will keep the culture out of you and it will keep you in the culture very, very, very uh, securely. The Word of God will keep the culture out of you and it'll keep you in culture. It will never remove you from culture because how will the culture know Jesus if not for you, if not for us, if not for the church? That's our challenge. That's every believer's challenge is to keep the world out of him but to stay in the world. What a joy. What a privilege. And you need to study, as we study this amazing grace, we're going to look at Romans 5, and I'm going to take it piece by piece and just elaborate very shortly to get to the point. Romans 5, verse 1, you will see on the screen. Read with me on the screen. If you read in your own Bible, if you read on your phone, you might read a different translation, that just makes it difficult. Or if you're stubborn, read on your phone. All right. Therefore... There's a wherefore before the therefore. You need to understand Romans 1, 2, and 3, and 4. But we're going to dive into Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, let me just highlight here. We have peace with God. The grace of God will give you peace with God. Grace will give you peace. Religion will give you uncertainty. What is the opposite of peace? Turmoil. Grace makes you... What, what does it mean to be at peace with someone? Friends, there's... When, when you visit friends, there's friends that you just don't have to be anything but yourself with. You can be at peace with them. There's, there's those moments, you, you know when in a conversation, if that uncomfortable silence, when you're with someone and it's just like, what did that no say? And then you say something and you need to think, the, the first thought is, I shouldn't have said that. And then, you know, it's you constantly... You know, it's like, oh my genade. How do you do this? What a gift to be a, 
to have peace with God. And this is a peace that produces worship because he says, we have peace with God. And then the last sentence in verse 2, it says, we rejoice in the hope of glory. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Ephesians 1 verse 5 and 6 it says, I'm just going to read verse 6, but he says, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Grace will always produce worship. To the praise of what? His glorious grace. May we understand grace because then we will understand worship. It won't, be, it won't work the other way around. If you understand the grace of God, it's funny how people who was, who was saved and they have a full understanding, they have a, it's almost like the grace of God hit their lives so hard, are very gracious to others. If you look at the outworking of grace in Paul's life, in the beginning of Paul's ministry, he calls himself least of the saints. At the end of his ministry, when this man was above 60, 60 odd years old, he says, I'm the least of all sinners. It's funny, hey? It's funny how people that's mature in Christ and that walks with God and that sees God's face, is not scared to, to, to make themselves equal to sinners. Because they know that me hanging out with you, it's not a competition. Because if His grace could save me, He can save you. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Friends, and as you grow in your understanding of grace, it will be an outflow. Humility will mark you. Peace will mark you. Because the battle is for your peace. The battle is for your identity. And grace brings a supernatural power into your life that gives you the ability to stand strong when culture says no. To say no when culture says yes, but to say no in a way that doesn't hurt people or offend people. Sometimes we Christians, listen, I've got beef with Christians because they call themselves Christians. If you have, if you have to call yourself something, you're not. Just settle it, man. He who says that he leads and no one follows is only taking a walk. It's the grace of God that makes you a Christian. You'll never have to call yourself one. People will. People will. And it'll cause you to worship because grace produces worship and worship is irresistible. Let's go further into Romans, verse 3. Now, only, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Ooh, bad news. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Grace in suffering. If you understand the grace of God, suffering will make you better. 
Suffering is not something that will define you, but you will be able to walk through suffering and have a testimony afterwards. If you do not understand the grace of God, suffering will make you bitter. It will make, make you the biggest uh, critic of anything. Suffer, uh, without the grace of God, you will always compare yourself to those who has it easier than you. But with the grace of God, you'll be able to interpret life correctly. God help me. God help us. That we can go through suffering, not criticizing. Friends, I am busy trying to control this little thing, uh, this little rudder in my life. Because it's so easy to go to a, to a place and start saying, yeah, but the politics says this and the whatever the, friends grace will season you the suffering that you are in is to help you to find the grace of God it is not there to hinder you from seeing God read through read throughout history I don't want to stop there but I want to give you a context of grace because we're going to unpack over the next weeks over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about grace. And then it says, verse 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Remember, Romans 5 is just about grace. Remember the context. Remember where we come from. It's grace. And then it says, and the Holy Spirit pours abroad. Because if you go through suffering, you know what you have with you. You have the Holy Spirit with you. You have God's Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in your suffering. Can you hear His voice? I'm reading about the great revivals of the past in a book called God's Generals. There's three in the series. You will do well to read that. But you find that revival is sustained through the Holy Spirit, through preaching baptism, through preaching baptism in the Holy Spirit, through helping people to understand baptism in the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. The outpouring in Azusa Street, the, the um, what do they call that revival that happened there? The Pentecostal revival was built on the foundation of the Holy Spirit. Friends, what other, who other is the Holy Spirit but God's presence Himself? To reveal God's grace to you. A couple of weeks ago, this was before the holiday, I can remember walking into my study, taking my Bible, having a moment, putting on my worship. Because my children make noise in the morning. And I can remember I just had a moment and I just said, God, I miss you. And it's my fault. It's no one's fault, it's mine. But I miss you. And I heard the voice of God saying to me, it's so good to be with you. What's that but the grace? What's that but the grace of God? What's that but the Holy Spirit? Don't live your life without the Holy Spirit. Get into a connect group. Friends, this one-to-one -one book that we do. Understand the scripture. Don't treat Christianity as a philosophy that you will study one day when you, when you have time. It is life. It is truly life. And the grace of God gives us the Holy Spirit, God with us, God in us. 
There's two concepts about the grace of God. The one, of, uh, the one concept is imputed. It's a big word in the Bible that says, when God imputes the grace of God to you. Imputation means that you have it. Importation means that you become it. People that live in the outer court of the temple are living in imputation. The nations are waving to us, but imputation, get me, look at this. Imputation means that I am a recipient of God's grace, but I don't know Him. Impartation means that I know God. The one is external, the other one is internal. You need both. And you will see now the grace of God. Don't just know that God is a gracious God. People that only know that God is a gracious God abuse God's grace. And they use it as an excuse to live a life that they were never designed to live. What does the Bible say? Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one should dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we are still sinners, or while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, the whole point of all those scriptures together there is grace cost something. God is not just a gracious God. It cost Him His Son's life. The cost of grace, when you understand the cost of grace, it'll prevent you from abusing it. When you understand the gift of grace, it will make you live a life that is reconciled to God. Now let me get to, I'm going to read the last passage and then I'm going to unpack three points and then we'll, we'll be done. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So it talks about Adam, now it goes to Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For as if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Therefore, 
as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded much more, all the more, superabundantly, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's, when, you, and when, you, when you deal with grace, and when you read this passage, you read about Adam that sinned and that caused humanity to produce after its own kind. It's a spiritual thing. He died spiritually and he passed death to his children, to his children, to his children, to the next generation. And then he talks about the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And there's a few, there's a few contrasts that we need to pick up. The first thing, it's on the notes there. Adam brought sin. Christ brought righteousness. Adam's sin was passed on. So when you become a child of God, when you receive the grace of God, He makes you righteous. It's a nature change. It's a supernatural thing. It cannot happen by decision. It cannot happen by religion. Who's experienced religion? Me. Who's been, you know, it's like, it's like humming the tune. Thanks, Steve. I was, I was waiting for that. It's like humming the tune but not knowing the words. It's like Mr. Bean sings hallelujah. 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 It's, it's just you don't know the words, but you know the tune. Who's this Jesus? The perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of men. John 1 verse 29 says. The perfect Lamb of God. He was able and He through His life took your sin, took my sin upon Himself and He died destroying the power of sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, every way or in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless and he died for us sinners. The foundation of the gospel is understanding that only Jesus can save. God's gift of grace and His righteousness. It's interesting how, how Adam sinned and He condemned us to death. Can I, tell you, can I tell you, you can figure out if you experience death. My famous five, it's not even my famous five faces, it's someone else's that I've learned. What's the first face of death? Where's the first way that you experience death? Is psychologically, insecurity. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve was naked and ashamed. For the first time in their life they experienced shame. It's a psychological death. Then it was spiritual. Then it was relational because Adam accused Eve and Eve accused the uh, creation. So it is psychological, spiritual, uh, relational, 
vocational, and then lastly, physical. Jesus took it upon himself, and by his grace, he says, I will lift that death from you, and you can experience life. Meditate on the fact that Jesus was sinless. See him obeying in your place, taking your sin upon him. Friends, that is the message of salvation. Is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I live. God's grace is not to make people better people. God's grace is to make them alive. We have this concept of God's grace. It's like His grace is to make good people better. Because I lived in, a, you know, I grew up in a good home. Uh, with a, you know, like all of us, you know, it's like a goeie huis, man. Nice man, sir. You know, and my salvation is just, you know, it's just smoothing a few rough edges. No, 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 no. And then, you know, the gospel is for those bad people. Ooh, it makes bad people good. The gospel is neither. It's not for either of those. The gospel is to make dead people alive to Jesus. It's made to, it, it, it brings life into your relationship with God. No longer will you read the Bible and just think, man, this sounds so good, but yo, it's weird. And then you look at your neighbor and you think, but why does it change his life that way? This constant jealousy. Second point that we see there is Adam brought condemnation. Christ brought justification. Rightful condemnation to life without hope is our rightful wage. Rightful condemnation. It is, it is righteous that you feel condemned when you compare yourself with God without His grace. It's right. You deserve it. But even, you know, there's a, there's a concept. I just want to make sure. Okay. Let me not go down that concept. Friends, God owed us nothing, yet He gave us everything. His grace abounded all the more into our justification. What does justification mean? You are justified to be called the Son of God. And then number three there, Adam brought death. Christ brought life. Verse 17, it says, death reigned. And then it says a very interesting, it's a word play here. It says, as death reigned in this world, how much more will the righteousness that God gives us causes us to reign in life? To reign in life. When you receive God's grace, you will start reigning in life. The grace of God will not just be enough for me. Listen, I know if you are anyway wired like me, it's like, God, give me grace. I want more of you. I need you. But unfortunately, or fortunately, the grace of God is so much bigger than you. Because grace will cause you to reign. Then the grace that God gives you will cause you to help Him. Because, friends, the beauty of the grace of God is it makes you gracious. It makes you less, less judgmental. It makes you more servant-hearted. That is what the grace of God does. 
Let me tell you a quick story of a young man. It's a book that was written about this story. Now, I haven't confirmed this. I, I struggle to confirm this. I don't know if it's true. But here they get, 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 get the moral of the story. Young man convicted. He brought amazing, just, just dreadful shame on his family through his actions. He was caught and taken to court, convicted, guilty, and Im implicated his family there. His family went through hell because of what he did. Lost lots of, basically most of what they had. And this young man went into prison and he was sentenced for 10 years in prison. After 10 years, he came out obviously a much older man. I'm just going to paraphrase. I'm not going to read it. And just before he was released from prison, he wrote his dad a letter. And he said, Dad, I've brought shame on you and I've brought shame on our family and I've brought shame on me. I want to ask you whether you will have it in you to forgive me. I will board the train here. And the train, the track of the train is on the border of their, of their farm. And he says, if you find it in your heart to forgive me, will you bind a white uh, lint or a uh, luppy, a ribbon, a white ribbon on the fence just to give me an idea that you've forgiven me? If you've forgiven me, I want to come back home. But if it's not there, I understand you are justified in not doing it. I will stay on the train. And the man rode, and he was so scared to look out of the window. He was so scared that he asked the passenger opposite him, he said, if you see a white ribbon on this fence, would you please let me know? And he just hung his head in shame, expecting the judgment that he deserved. And he said, do you see a white ribbon in desperation as they got closer to the station? And the guy says, no, I don't see a ribbon. See, I see hundreds of ribbons. That's grace. Hundreds. And the story goes how the dad just tied ribbons because he didn't want his child to miss it. That's imputation. So you can stay on the train knowing that God has done something great. And you can still stay on the train and, and drive into, into the future knowing that your dad forgave you but never knowing your dad again. Impartation is getting off the train into the embrace of a father. That's grace. Let us not deal with grace as this external concept that makes you religious. I know I've got this, but I don't feel it. Friends, this year is a year where I trust that God will lead us into feeling, not just imputed grace, but imparted grace. And I believe God wants to do that this morning. Can I ask you this question? Can I ask you to be very honest with me? You know what? To be very honest with God, just, this is the important thing. When Jesus died, He died that you can receive His grace. He paid the price. He tied the ribbon. And now He's saying to you, will you climb off the train? Are you in Christ? Are there people here that has never given their lives to Jesus? Christianity will never make sense to you and you will always criticize it. And if that is you, you need to, you need to get to a place where you receive God's forgiveness. You need to receive His saving grace. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you have not been saved, you need to get saved today. Then, if you have given your life to Jesus, but you know that you are a foreigner to His grace, you really live foreign to His grace. Friends, you need to stand up and you need to... And you know what is the key? It's repentance is the key. I was sharing with I don't know who before church. My sons taught them if they do something wrong, they come to me. If they tell me the truth, I can help them. If they don't tell me the truth, I can't. I tell you, my heart is like a... Man, this is like marshmallows. This is like a bride of marshmallows. You know, it's, 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 it's soft. When my child comes to me and he says, Daddy, I made a mistake. You know how proud I am of him in that moment? I'm not mad at him because of the mistake. I'm proud of him because he knows I'm dad. And it's cool. The mistake is not going to define my relationship. Friends, I tell you, there's, there's, a, there's a heavenly father that's waiting for you as a believer to just say to him, you know what, I messed up. I've abused your grace. I've forgotten about your grace. And I'm treating you like that taskmaster that I was taught in religion. That's the point. This year stops. This year, living without grace stops, friends. And it'll be a great year for you, even if there's suffering. Can I ask you just to bow your head, close your eyes.